0: what's going on refill team Fairchild? you guys know how this works the goal of this podcast is to help bring people together where stories of triumphs and success or even stories of a little bit of failure or hardship we share them all because by doing so we help connect each other to one another and that's really what this podcast is all about so let's go ahead and get this episode started Refuelies. We're off, floating another episode today. Today I have Chief Mash Sergeant Matt Coltrane. Mm-hmm. He is currently the 7th Bomb Wing Command Chief.
1: That's right. Black Crosses, Hula.
0: Thanks for being here today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and honor to be out here hanging out with the Fairchild crew, so thank you so much.
0: Yeah. What brings you out here this week?
1: Hey, so this week I got asked to come out and uh, collaborate with your Command Chief, Chief Guzman, to put on the... Fairchild Senior Enlisted Development Seminar. And so a part of this is uh, just learning because he's got a great thing going here, taking care of those uh, senior enlisted leaders, preparing them for more responsibility and kind of amplifying their current skills and traits they have. So he's got a great program going to, to take care of the senior NCOs. But in addition, he, he's asked me to kind of bring a little bit of, if you will, the, the Dias flavor. And we're going to be sure. teaching a course this afternoon about the power of positivity, like leading with positivity. And so I, I'm really excited about kind of, uh, employing that curriculum here at Fairchild. Hopefully all the senior NCOs that are going to get to be a part of that class. It's something they haven't heard before. Maybe it is, uh, But I think it's going to be some really good stuff to kind of uh, add to their toolbox to help them take care of their airmen.
0: Sure. I hope it's stuff that we've heard. I will be in the class, too. (laughs) I'm hoping it's stuff we've heard, but it's always good to have it be a refresher. Yeah, so,
1: you know, when people talk about being positive, um, people often gravitate towards go to the gym, do some yoga, think happy thoughts and put a smile on your face and and that is like barely scratching the surface of like the science that goes on in your mind as far about the control you have and the happiness that you get to experience throughout your life and so believe it or not there are hundreds if not thousands of studies out there about the human mind and what it takes to be happy and believe it or not our happiness is largely dictated by ourselves. True. You know, like if I ask you a question right now, like what is good and what is bad? Like with my life right now? No, like or? that, that was kind of more rhetorical, <laughs> but it's a, it's a, there's a, there's an old Chinese parable, um, about like who's to determine what is good and what is bad.
0: Okay. I get what you're saying. And
1: so like, you know, you might say, oh, I broke my leg. That's horrible. That is bad. That's bad unless a draft starts and you don't want to join the military and you can't join the draft because you have a broken leg. And that might not be a good example. It's something we <laughs> had to think of really quick, but, but largely like we determine what is good or bad based off of society, based off of the way we were raised, based off of what we know. And because we get to decide what's largely good or bad, we also have the power to kind of power through things that, largely might be bad sure and so um without spoiling it but think of it this way something bad that you define as bad happens in your life it's it's very similar to putting your hand on a hot stove and it burning we are biologically designed To have a negative reaction to our surroundings because it's what kept us alive for like since the existence of mankind from we were a caveman when we walked out of our cave. If we walked out the cave and we were happy and we were enjoying the sunset, well, we'd get eaten by the saber tooth tiger. (laughs) So in our bodies, we're biologically driven to find the negative in our environment Mm -hmm. in order to keep us alive. All right. And so largely the human psyche hasn't changed from where we were cavemen to where we are today. But the important part is of today is when we put our hand on that hot stove and we're burned and we say, ah, I need to take it off. Well, our happiness and our anxiety and nervousness and depression, that burn is still good because it teaches us that, hey, this is bad. Stay away. Change course. But we shouldn't keep our hand on the burner. Sure. And so like a lot of times when something bad happens in somebody's life, let's say I didn't get promoted, right? We put our hand on the stove, it burnt. Ah, that pressure or that pain or that frustration is what is going to motivate us maybe to study a little harder, maybe to do a little bit more uh, as far as getting better at our job, increase my scope of responsibility, do the things that I can control, which is going to be one of the five great gifts that we're going to talk about. Activate, do something. But we shouldn't keep our hand on the burner because in our minds, if we stay angry, if we do what we're programmed to do naturally, which is stay angry, blame it on the environment, be unhappy, then we're going to find ourselves deteriorating and wasting our energy that we could be using to apply to improving our situation that otherwise uh, would just be wasted on being sad, depressed or angry. And so that's kind of like the cliff notes. But uh, There's a lot of uh, research out there. If you Google positive, positive intelligence, PQ is, is, is kind of what it goes by. Lots of studies out there that basically talk about giving people the power back over their mind to create happy and fulfilled lives in order to be more productive people as they go out and work in a complex society.
0: Sure. No, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm really excited now for sure. your, your speech later. Yeah, so
1: it's not about like passing out popsicles and, and brownies and...
0: Those can help sometimes, though.
1: Yeah, yeah they do help sometimes.
0: <laughs> Especially on a day like yesterday. I don't know if you flew in yesterday. But we finally got our first 90 degree and above weather day, and it was a little much. A lot of us still don't have AC, or at least I live in a house that does not.
1: Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, um, in Dias right now...
0: Very, Very true.
1: West Texas... <laughs> The pool has been open for about a month. Yeah, it's pretty hot where I come from. So I think it's like 110s. The The heat sector is probably higher, but uh, but we're used to that heat. It felt amazing yesterday. So once again, <laughs> who says what's sure. good and what's bad? It's Excellent. all about perspective. Yeah, it was actually, it felt great yesterday, believe it or not, from, you know, coming from uh, West Texas, from big country, which I love, but it's pretty awesome. So
0: no, I can appreciate that. Even just, I was stationed at McDill for four years. And enjoying the dry heat and knowing that, oh, it's 90, but it's tolerable versus 90 degree plus 110 plus degree or a percentage. I don't know if that's possible, but it feels like it humidity wise.
1: Oh yeah. Humidity is a killer. Yes. For sure.
0: So I noticed, and we talked already, I read a little bit about your bio and I noticed that you are also avionics maintenance by trade. So have you always had this positive outlook or have you always been able to carry that mindset? As we know, especially on the flight line and probably in the back shops, it's very easy to get overwhelmed.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, hey, man, maintenance is tough, but maintenance is proud. And, it's well, and, it, and you know, it's uh, the backbone of the Air Force. It's um, It produces combat air power. I've been uh, super proud to uh, wear the maintenance badge as I've been able to move through the ranks, and uh, it's a community that has made me who I am. I will tell you earlier in my career that I developed – an attitude of ignore the naysayers. And so, you know, like in maintenance as growing up, you know, there were always people out there who would say what was impossible or what couldn't be done or have a extremely viable explanation of why something was impossible. And so early on, and I had no idea at the time, like when I was young, I was just trying hard and figured that was the best course of action to, you know, try to do whatever needed to be done. But I will tell you, coming up through the ranks, I will tell you that uh, my attitude towards solving problems hasn't always been 100% embraced. I'll tell you, though, that, you know, maintenance, we're we're driven by AFIs, we're driven by tech orders. We're all about following the rules because if we don't follow the rules, it could uh, lead to aircraft damage and even more horribly loss of human life if that aircraft doesn't run. However, there are areas within our profession where there's some opportunities to innovate, to do things better, to do things faster without breaking tech data. And just me as a person has kind of always been one of those people where I don't like to be like put in a box. I like to uh, think about different ways of doing things and and certainly never have anybody tell me that something is unachievable, right? Okay. And so, uh, so what I'll tell you, you know, your question was, have I always been this way? I have been just naturally been a very curious leader from when I was really young up until till now. But I will tell you that maintenance is the best at what they do. And nobody can do what we do. And and, and I don't know of any career fields that work as hard and have more demands put on them than, than our maintainers across the Air Force. Not everybody can be a maintainer. And so it's a very special group to be a part of. But what I will tell you is throughout our enterprise, we we sometimes do not appreciate creativity. We don't appreciate diversity of thought maybe as much as we should have. You know, uh, not necessarily in maintenance, but our entire enterprise, maybe a creative gray area operator isn't necessarily totally appreciating all those, if that makes sense.
0: Sure. So you mentioned that you've always been able to kind of maintain a more positive outlook or at least a more innovative slash creative let's get to let's get to yes when we can attitude how did you deal with your peers especially for my young NCOs my young staff sergeants tech sergeants even senior airmen who start to fall into that rut we have the leaders above us who aren't necessarily grinding us down, but aren't able to create, at least in the moment, these opportunities that you just spoke on. Mm-hmm. How do we keep them motivated, especially we just talked with Sam, uh, Chief Samovarcian, mm-hmm. who you mentioned you go way back, way, way back, hey, even farther back than yeah. I do. But he mentioned that retention, not retention rates, that promotion rates are going to go back down yeah. as we f- build the force, fortify the force with the way we need to. Mm-hmm. What do you say to those maintainers that are now not going to promote as quickly Yeah. on top of the, the rigorous Man. demand.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So let me just uh, take this from two different perspectives. The first perspective that I have out there for every airman, capital A in the Air Force, you have got to know where your authority starts and where your authority stops. and And you should not take any responsibility for anything outside your scope of control what you're responsible for is being awesome and great at that in which you can control and you have direct influence over. So as an NCO and, and working laterally with your peers, you know, you have opportunities to collaborate, you have opportunities to get great ideas, you have opportunities to scratch each other's back to, to maybe change schedules or, or do whatever is within the autonomy of you accomplishing your chunk of the mission. But But what I think it's super healthy to do is take care of those below you and those within your scope of control and do that to the best of your abilities and allow your uh, happiness or your self-actualization come from the impact in which you are directly responsible for. I I don't need staff sergeants staying up late at night, for that matter, any rank, worrying about manning, Air Force-wide, and if there's going to be a retention board coming up. If that comes up, we're going to all go through it together. We're going to have each other's back, and, and we're going to try to make the tough decisions for the best reasons, all right? Um, but what I really need you to do is like be focusing on your formations, on your people, and if everybody just takes care of their little small slice of the pie— Man, I know for a fact that that's going to be some delicious eating from a Mm -hmm. enterprise perspective. And uh, what was the second part of the question was like the promotion rates? The
0: promotion rates kind of, for lack of better words, dipping back down. I mean, we we had a great run, but.
1: Yeah. So here's what I'll tell you, too. Here. Here's the deal. There is not enough Schlitz to go around to promote every single airman every single year. Every single year we leave fully qualified, all-stars, more than deserving airmen on the bench for every single grade in the Air Force because we just simply have the, the highest caliber of human beings on our team. But here's the deal is that if you don't make it this year, guess what? We still got next year. And if we don't make it next year, guess what? We still have the next year. And unless you're close to your higher tenure, guess what? There are infinite amount of times that you can test for any rank and promotion until you hit your higher tenure. And for some of our brothers and sisters, they might hit higher tenure. And guess what? You're still top 1% of our entire nation and you served and you've done more than anybody back home wherever you came from did. But what I will tell you is, is that if you work hard and you try your best and you're the best human being that you can possibly be, And you just allow the system to work, then I'm telling you, there's a spot for you in any rank or grade there is in the Air Force. And so um, I think a part of that is sometimes our biggest enemies are ourselves. And um, I, I tell you, every single year, I see people become discouraged. I see people get filled with negativity and hate. And what I'll tell you is, is they are their biggest enemy. And I'll also tell you that the person who's sometimes the most inspirational senior NCO or NCO or airman is that humble warrior who's just doing everything the right way, who's a team player. Everybody wants them on their team because they're, they're, they're not like trying to be a celebrity airman. They're not trying to be all about themselves. And, and in a world where we have a society that loves celebrities and that are full of attention seekers... You actually become the most popular and the most, you know, the biggest celebrity when you're quite frankly, just doing things the right way. So I would tell all the airmen out there, just don't be discouraged. I already told you when I was an airman, I just said, ignore the naysayers, just do you be the greatest version of you out there. And if, and when, you know, you get the honor to be promoted, well then doggone it, you did it the right way and and it'll come. But I promise you just stay optimistic. It'll come. Just work hard, do the right things, and it'll come.
0: I really appreciate that insight because it's just really hard, I think. It, it was hard when it was 35% you know, pass rate or promotion rate. So now to see almost single digits for some, I think people just get a little concerned, a little scared, it, especially for staff sergeant. It's been so high for so long. But if you look back, and I had to go look back at the promotion rates from the 90s and uh, early 2000s, I think even, mm-hmm. it dipped into very – Small numbers, especially for such a large tier of airmen. Mm -hmm. I mean, the staff sergeants are our our bread and butter. They are our backbone of the Air Force. So trying to keep people motivated, that was really, really thoughtful and helpful advice.
1: Yeah.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? I guess we kind of jumped the gun, but (laughs) we know your name. We know your avionics backshop by
1: trade. But, sir, where'd you come from? Very proud avionics backshop, Pointy head nerds. HUA. But no, man, I'm from Lake Charles, Louisiana. So it's uh, if you look at Louisiana, and most people call it the boot. I'm from the ankle of the boot. Okay. And so the very southern western portion. I was born and raised there my whole life. Yeah, very very proud, dirty Cajun, big Saints fan. Who dat? Other than that, just been in been maintenance pretty much my whole career. Did a did a stint as an M.T.I. Did a stint as a first sergeant, which gave me a lot of diversity of of thought being in a couple different uh, functional communities, worked in the med group, worked in the MSG for a lot, nice. uh, a little bit of time. I've worked in every group except for the OG, but now that I've had the opportunity to be a command chief, I kind of feel like I'm getting sure my fair share of, of operator time. So they're a bunch of, bunch of that's a good community to be a part of too and understand their world. But yeah, I like outdoors. So that's why I think uh, Spokane, Washington is pretty cool. I love all the trees. I love the green grass. The mountains are pretty beautiful. That's pretty much me in a nutshell, I guess. Just outdoorsman type kind of of person. Um,
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Why'd you join? Why
1: did I join? I love this question. I appreciate the softball toss. So here's here's, uh, my thought. I don't think any of us join for like one reason. So if anybody tells you like, this is why I joined, they're a liar. Because I don't think we ever (laughs) do anything for like one sole reason. So... Here's my story. I told you I'm from Louisiana. I was going to University of Louisiana Lafayette. Another thing about me, kind of weird. I'm short, but I was a pole vaulter back in the day. You can Google me. Sometimes you can still find some some track meets that I participated in, but I actually ran track at ULL. I wanted to be an architect when I was in college. So part of an architectural degree, you have to take art classes. This one particular morning, I was in art class. It's a three hour class. It's on a Thursday morning, and Wednesday night is uh, penny picture night. <laughs> Let's leave it at that and we'll just move on. Okay. So, Thursday morning, it's a rough day. We're drawing clouds, and uh, it's a three hour class. I'm like, bro, I do not need three hours to draw clouds. Like, I can, that can be done in like 15 minutes, but we'll just keep doing what we got to do. And uh, somebody says, hey, you notice there's no, aircraft flying. There's no airplanes in the air. And we're like, man, that's crazy. There's no airplanes. And we were right by like an airport. Okay. And so we go back to the dorms and we're watching the TV. And guess what that day was? It was 9-11. Okay. And we're like, holy crap, we just got attacked. And so here's the deal. Growing up, mom was a teacher. My my dad was a uh, was a construction worker, kind of in and out of work. Growing up, did a lot of traveling to to stay on jobs. I had a great childhood. My my family is um is, is amazing as far as my mom, my intermediate family, got a sister and track paid for books, that's it. And so that's that's just chump changed at at the end of the day. And so I changed my major from architecture because those the art classes were just crazy. Went to engineering, that was uh oh, that's a bit much, then went to business and it was boring. <laughs> and um, So I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. The whole track thing didn't really work out. I was uh, pretty bad. And then um, 9-11 happened. I had never uh, intended on joining the Air Force until that day happened. And, like, like for those people who were, like, of age like me who could join, I think we felt something in our gut. Like, we were angry. We were upset. We wanted to do something. And so – for a myriad of different reasons, I was like, I think the best thing for me to do is go join the Air Force for four years, because I remembered Sergeant Hebert, uh coming around my high school. He was a really sharp fella, and I was like, out of all the services, that guy, I remembered him just being super sharp. He was smart. He was presentable. He had a fantastic military image, and he's just an all-around good dude. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go, like, talk to the Air Force recruiter. And the Air Force crew was like, hey, man, you can come pole vault for us.
0: (laughs) And I was like,
1: all in, baby. And so I signed up for four. And then I joined the Air Force. And hot dog, it's been 20 years. I'm still here today.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Where else have you been stationed?
1: So I've been very blessed. I've been able to see a lot of different things and experience a lot of different jobs across our enterprise. So came in. I was stationed in Okinawa, Japan, which is my first base. I put all bases in Louisiana and Florida, even though I couldn't be stationed at half of them. And then I went and checked my uh, my little sheet when it said I was, you know, my first base and it said Okinawa. Like I don't recall Okinawa being on my list, <laughs> but the good news is my whole tech school class went there and we had a cool. blast nice. for like two years. It was great. So Okinawa is my first base. After Okinawa, I got picked up to be an MTI. So really young, got picked up as a senior airman, sewed on staffing route. And was at Lackland for the following four years. So I got to do uh, MTI duty. I got my NCO growth on rapid growth speed. It was awesome. I was around just spectacular humans, a lot of which are command chiefs today. I think about like the Hope Skibitzky's, the Shea Alamos, the Gene Jamesons, Mark Shulkoffs. Those were all MTIs that were just a couple years ahead of me that like poured into me. So that's really cool to see them doing great things. After MTI duty, I went back to maintenance, worked on B2s for a while. Okay at whiteman and then at my time at whiteman was right before dsd kicked off so i was back in avionics working maintenance at whiteman dsd was about to kick off and the air force had a air force-wide shortage of master sergeants or excuse me first sergeants oh so i had just made master and my uh, maintenance chief comes up to me and says hey man you've got a passing pt score and you're not on a profile guess what i'm gonna non you to be a shirt I was like, hey, like, I've already done the MTI thing. I've done the DSD or whatever we're calling it these days. I'm good. Like, I am I love it here. Do not want to go be a shirt. He's like, bro, you're going to do a shirt. <laughs> and it was probably the greatest, most amazing thing that ever happened to me. So I got picked up to be a shirt at Whiteman. That's where I did Med Group, LRS, Security Forces. I did so well at Security Forces there. They pcs me then to OSAN, and I got to be the Security Forces First Sergeant out at OSAN. Oh,
0: excellent.
1: So the went to Osan, then after Osan, got a phenomenal, amazing follow-on to Eglin Air Force Base. Eglin was great there. I got to work uh, EW in the 36th Electronic Warfare Squadron. Later on, moved down the street to be a, a nomad in the 33rd wing, working F-35s in a, a joint Navy Air Force F-35 flying training unit, MXS. So my commander was a Navy commander, and then I was the SEL as the enlisted. It was freaking awesome. Colonel, uh, Commander Scott, hello, if you're out there. Mm-hmm. And then from there I went, I got sucked back into the first sergeant community, went and did the command first sergeant duty up at Air Force District of Washington, which is headquarters at Andrews Air Force Base. And then after that, I'm in my current duty station, um, Dias, which is awesome. It's big country, West Texas. It is hot there right now. <laughs> I think it's about 110 degrees, but, Keep um, it. Dias is just plumb full of spectacular humans on and off the base that make it a pleasure and honor to be a part of that team every single day. I missed one assignment in there. Uh, I've been a bunch of TDYs. I'll, I'll spare you on that. But one one really cool uh, opportunity that I had in my crew was I went to Taji, Iraq, to train the Iraqis basic military training. So that was a that was a pretty cool experience. Right after uh, OIF, we went in there part of a training mission to kind of rebuild their their force. And I got it to be a part of that. So that was pretty pretty cool.
0: I think you were a TI when I went through basics. Probably I'm just so. a couple years behind <laughs> yeah. you. So I got there, I yeah. went through in October
1: of 04. Nope, 04. Nope, I got okay. there in six, so okay. it's okay, you're safe, <laughs> you're safe. But I do have trainees that are senior master sergeants right now. I don't know of any trainees that are chiefs yet, but soon. Awesome. Very soon.
0: And as your time as uh, first sergeant uh, at command of, what, what was what was that again?
1: So... Each ma- major command has a chief first sergeant that works as a match com functional manager for all the first Child, sergeants that work okay. in that command. Um, and then depending on what command it is, they utilize that, that chief first sergeant in different roles. But the title is command first sergeant. It's basically that chief first sergeant that sits on the headquarters. And so I was uh, assigned to the Air Force District of Washington, which a lot of people, they, they've never heard of it before, right? Sure. Have you ever heard of Air Force District of Washington? I don't think so. So I'm not stationed there anymore, so I don't really know the slogan, but um, Air Force District of Washington essentially is the Air Force component for the national capital region within the District of Washington. They are kind of like MAGCOM light. They're, they're the administrative reporting body to half the two subordinate wings are Andrews and Bowling. Okay. But in addition to Andrews and Bowling, every single airman around the United States Air Force that... Does not fall underneath a typical MAGCOM construct, is administratively assigned to the Air Force District of Washington. So, no OPCON, but ADCON. So, it ends up being like 33,000 airmen worldwide that if they need uh, their their umpers fixed, they go up for a step promotion, they compete for 12 outstanding airmen of the year, they compete through the Air Force District of Washington. Oh, cool. Yeah, pretty cool that, organization.
0: While you were the command first sergeant, is that how you met Chief Guzman?
1: So that is, we definitely worked together in that capacity, but we also knew each other from Eglin. So back at Eglin, he was the uh, LRS superintendent. And let me tell you something, Chief Guzman was a great airman and he was a great chief and he was a adequate command first sergeant. I mean, he was probably top six. (laughs) That was a joke, Chief Guzman. But uh, he has just crushed the command chief game, like all the things that he's doing out here in Fairchild and, and the things that he's going to do for for Jay Bear. He has really found his niche as far as how to to help others get better. And so, hey, good job, Goose. You're doing a great job. Awesome.
0: He listens to these, so he'll, he'll hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is what has been if you can capitalize on it, what's been the or at least one of the highlights of your career?
1: man, that's tough. Maybe You know, they tell you you should always have your elevator speech ready. So, you know, I hate to, um, I can't think of like that climactic moment where like the doves were released and the rainbow came out and the, the skies parted and it was just like my aha moment in the Air Force. But um, what I'll say is I appreciate the mundane, boring day-to-day grind that every single airman does every single day. I really genuinely appreciate the things that don't write well. You know, like an airman sitting on post for like 12 hours. That's not a really great promotable bullet, if you will. I mean, it is. So, hey, all you defenders out there, you're listening. Like, don't, don't be discouraged. I, I just think that we should really celebrate these really hard jobs that require tremendous amounts of self-discipline even if it might not sound like you're saving babies from a burning building. So what I would say is, is I don't think there's ever been one like aha moment, but there's been numerous boring moments that I appreciate that I've been a part of that have made me who I am. And it's what, what inspires me about our airmen who accomplish it every single day. And so I think as leaders, sometimes we just need to be reminded that, Hey, Sometimes we're asked to do some very tactical level stuff, some very boring stuff, but doggone it, it's super appreciated. And sometimes doing that hard stuff is uh, requires a significant, a significant amount of more discipline than it does to do the fun, exciting Air Force sure. crazy stuff.
0: Sure, no, that makes sense. You mentioned originally, you only planned on doing four years, mm-hmm. so. What made you want to at least re-enlist the first time and what made you continue to want to serve?
1: So, hey, I signed up for four. I got to MEPS. I don't know if they're recruiters or whoever's in MEPS. They're like, hey, bro, I will pay you (laughs) $1,000 if you sign up for six. I was like, dude, where do I sign? (laughs) $1,000 got me me across the finish line for six. So my, my commander, Colonel Joe Kramer, who's a fantastic human and and, an amazing operator. He, he has a saying of, uh, why we join isn't why we continue to serve. Sure. And boy, is that not the truth. I totally intended on coming in, learning a skill, going back to school and, and quickly separating. Cause I, I, growing up, I never saw myself in this organization, but, man, um, early on, I fell in love with being surrounded by so many spectacular humans. If you were stationed at Kadena in the early 2000s, you were a very lucky human. Uh, you think about the Manny Pineros, the fired-up chief Juan Lewis, uh, the Tony Bishops, the the Mike Vellas, Th- Riddle, and I know I missed a, a whole bunch of others, K. Wright. Baby K. Wright when he was still dental tech K Wright. Sure. Was the MSG, I believe, back. Like you were surrounded with amazing superhuman enlisted leaders. And when they walked into the room, they had a presence. I mean, there there remember, there was no like Facebook, there were no podcasts, no offense. Like this is good good stuff. <laughs> but there weren't these opportunities to like portray a persona or an image. But you knew who these people were because their reputations preceded them. And everywhere they went, they just lit fires. And so, man, I was just incredibly impressed and, and and just honored and excited to be a part of this team. And when I was at Okinawa, I wanted to be like them when I grew up. I'm like, look, I don't know what kind of like cereal that dude or that are eating, but like, I want some of that in my life. Sherry Olsen, too. sorry, I, you're out there. you're a huge midterm mine. I love you. you're probably gonna hear this, and you're gonna yell at me. Okay, we're good. And so you know, going from Okinawa, I, I did honor guard out there, so I got be a big chance and everyone in Honor guard was spectacular. I was like, man, this drill stuff's pretty cool. I think I want to try this MTI thing, right? So I kind of extended into my MTI life. And the reason I say that is because at a certain part in the, you know in, in our journeys, we say, man, there is so much goodness to this enterprise and everything we're doing. It's we we—we're asked to expend ex, inordinate amounts of energy, but it's all for the greater good. Anybody can get behind that. So like n- clearly we're enlisted. We ain't doing this because we get paid so doggone much. Now we get paid good. Sure. We get happy. We're happy. We can have anything we want. We just can't have everything we want. Exactly. But the, the fiscal, benefits don't even come close to just the the personal relationships and the humans that we get to uh, to work with every single day. So the mission, we do really important work. We keep America safe. We got to remember like, hey, um, air power is, is critical to our nation's defense, period dot. So what we do is very important. And that's something to be proud about. Number two, we get to do it with fantastic, amazing human beings every single day. And I don't know you. I met you five minutes ago, but I got your back. And I love you. You're my sister. And if I can't give you a 1,000% of my trust right now, then something's wrong. But because you wear that cloth and because you're an airman, I trust you a 1,000%. And that's what keeps me going is the opportunity to help somebody else along the way I tell every single airman that I come in touch with, I cannot promote every single one of you. Not every single one of you will be the next chief master of the Air Force, nor will you be 12 ay Why? Some of you might not even wear, some of you might not even win a Corley Award. But if I can help you level up in any of the your different, you know, areas of life, whether that's personally, whether that's professionally, whether that's technically, then I think this this service was worth worth serving. Some people are inspired fiscally. Some people are inspired for different reasons. I'm absolutely uh, motivated. My why is to kind of help others the way that people have helped me. So what kept me is by far the humans that I get to spend this time with.
0: That's excellent. I I hear from a lot of my retirees and people who separated that one of the things I miss most when they get out of the Air Force is just the camaraderie. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean... I know there's a lot of consternation and people who have their, have harsh opinions on like our sponsorship program and, and, and this program and that program. But um, what is inarguable is the fact of such a high priority that we put on our people. And the reason why we have all these programs and the reason why commanders follow up and they ask hard questions is because we, we do in our hearts value and care deeply about our, our people.
0: Excellent. Thank you. On the opposite side of that, because I think we all fall into ruts at times. I mean, we're human. It's going to happen. Was there ever a time throughout one of your enlistments where you thought, I don't want to do this anymore, or maybe this isn't for me?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of people see a command chief, a first sergeant, a wing commander, fill in the blank with what you identify as somebody who's successful. It might even be a senior airman in your shop who's just won like a million dollars by investing in Bitcoin last June or something, what have you. But what you don't see are all the failures that it took to get there. Like that senior airman who got became a millionaire last year because he put all his money in Bitcoin. Well, you didn't see the 10 years before where he lost thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars investing in Okay. Don't go out there and invest all your money in Bitcoin, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. But you you see my point, right? And so like, no human goes through life without challenges. And those challenges, if attacked with the right perspective, and the correct level of maturity can easily be turned into um, growing opportunities, You know, if if you reflect back and you say, like, man, that was the hard time where, like, I was angriest and I was the bottom of the barrel. Um, I can reflect back to the time where I was sitting in my car crying because it was such a miserable and horrible time in my existence. And as I reflect back, I think back, man, I needed to go through that. I needed to go through that tough time, number one, because I had to learn and I had to grow and I had to become tougher. And uh, you can't grow big muscles unless you exercise them, unless you rip them down and then you build them back. Sure. And so there's a certain amount of tribulation that every human must experience to grow individually. That's number one. And then number two is how can we possibly empathize with others when they're going through hard times, if we've never been at the bottom of the barrel ourselves. And so I, when I'm dealing with airmen who are dealing with like serious situations in their lives, every single time I reflect on the time, whenever I was in my serious situation and we've all had them. um, And in an attempt to imagine to walk a day in their shoes and understand what they're going through. And then number three, what I'll leave you with is, it, like, if we never went through, like, horrible times, if we never went through bad times, then we would never know what good times were. Sure. It's the bad times that, like, put into perspective when we're having good times. And so, for what it's worth, it's a natural part of the of the human experience. I think what's important is, is kind of like we started this, this podcast off with, is... When you're going through bad times, you need to like kind of understand it's happening. And then uh, as much as you possibly can in your capacity, know whenever the negative energy, it's protecting us from physical and emotional harm. But at a certain point, we need to refocus, change the narrative in our minds and say, hey, this is a part of my human experience. I accept it. The way I feel about it isn't going to change the situation that I'm currently in. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to take actions from this point on, which I do control, in order to create a better existence for myself. So, you know, I could go down the laundry list of all the times I was under investigation or lost a family member or a best friend or, you know, all these. And it's really not super important. But what is important is, is that it gave meaning to my life and it made me better.
0: Thank you for that. I forget what book I was reading, but it explained the difference between apathy, sympathy, and empathy, and Mm -hmm. they gave a little story. You and your best friend are at a cabin, and you just want to you know, take a glass of hot chocolate, read a book, get warm by the fire because it's cold outside, and your friend just, I really want to go out onto the lake and see what's out there. So he takes off or she takes off running, and you're in there watching from the window, and they fall through the ice there's what what do you do do you help them run out there immediately do you come up with a plan or do you absolutely do nothing and apathy obviously is yep i can see something's going on but that's not my problem mm-hmm. sympathy is you run out there without you know concern or without concern for yourself and you end up falling through the ice as well and now yes you've put yourself in that same situation but you're not helping because now you're in the exact same predicament and then empathy is taking the time to not appreciate, but understand they're going through something. Think about it logically. I don't need to know the water is freezing and I can get hypothermia to know that this person is in trouble. But how can I help them? Do I call 911? Do I go out there safely? I can see where the ice is cracked. Maybe throw them a, a lifeline of rope and bring them back t- to safety and hopefully warm them up in time. Yeah. But I really appreciated that. And I really appreciated that story because when you talked about empathy, it, it really reminded me of that. Oh. But I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I know you have to get ready to come speak to us soon. Hopefully this was a good warm up for you. But is there anything, Chief, you'd like to leave the listeners?
1: Hey, Fairchild, I'll just leave you with it's been a pleasure and honor to hang out with you. To the maintainers, I think we need like 10 more maintainers to move that KC 135 or we need to defuel a little bit because we we moved it like but not so much. (laughs) Good job though today. That was, that was so much fun. Just thanks for having me. This has been fantastic. Fairchild is a fantastic installation. you should be very proud. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a total pleasure and honor. And thank you so much.
0: You're always welcome back chief.
1: Moore's ab alto. Sorry. <laughs> Death like, from above.
0: Chief again, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And for my listeners, you guys have a spectacular day. Alright team, that wraps up another episode of Refill Team Fairchild. If you guys have any stories you'd like to share on the podcast, or maybe know anyone that does have stories that they'd like to share, please let us know. You can reach us at 92 Foxtrot Sierra Sierra dot Foxtrot Sierra Delta Papa dot Fairchild Charlie Alpha Alpha at us.af.mil And until next time, we'll see you then.